it's great to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time or your second time or you're kind of new with us and we haven't met, my name is Corey and I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at GFC. And you're joining us in the midst of our series that's leading us right into Easter. So we started this conversation last week called Marks of a Disciple. And if you missed that, I would encourage you, you can go back. You can find us on YouTube. You can watch it there or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, we were on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. You can go back and listen. And so we kicked this off, and we started to have this conversation about what it actually means to look like someone who follows Jesus. Because there's a lot of differences that we could see in the world around us. There would be a lot of people that claim Jesus, but we don't all look the same. We don't all practice the same. We don't all do the same things. And, and a lot of times, that's okay. Many churches are going to look different. And we all believe the same core ideas, and we can just look different in the way we worship and how we dress or what we do. But what are the things that are actually going to be sticking points of someone who follows Jesus? And so we wanted to kind of develop this and have this conversation. And like I said, this is leading us into Easter. So let me pause for a minute and just remind us, Easter is three weeks away, okay? We're almost there. So don't forget Okay, mark your calendar, do whatever you need to do to make sure you've got that locked in. I also want you to know that we are, we're going to do Good Friday again this year, which we're really excited about doing, and we're actually bringing back the meal portion of our Good Friday worship experience this year. So if you would like to be a part of pizza that happens before the service, let us know. We're going to have pizza at 6 o'clock. Um, on our website, you can find all the information you need about Easter and Good Friday. We want you to RSVP to Good Friday if you're coming for pizza. So we know how much to order. So that'll be 6 o'clock, and then we'll transition into our worship, worship service. We'll sing a little bit. We'll do communion together. That will be at 7 o'clock. You are welcome to come to the worship experience, even if you don't come for pizza, okay? But we would love to have you for both if you'd like to. And then fast forward to Sunday, right? That's the big day. And so we've been making preparations for that. We've been getting ready. We're going to have invites for you guys next week. They'll be on the seats for you. So you can think about who you'd like to invite to Easter um, and all that kind of fun stuff. So just warning you, make sure it's on your calendar. We're excited about Easter. We would love for you to celebrate with us. And so we're going to go through the rest of the next couple weeks leading to Easter and have this conversation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so the first thing I want to do today is just ask you a very simple question. And it's this. How do we know we're making the right choices? How do we know we're making the right choices? This is a question you have to ask yourself whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You might find yourself trying to make a choice on what car to buy. That's a difficult decision, isn't it? And then sometimes you buy the car, and maybe initially you're like, ah, maybe this isn't as great as I thought it was, right? We start to think about choices about jobs and about things like that. And am I going to be happy today, and, and is that happiness going to translate to five years later? How do I know I'm making the right choice. And we kind of scrutinize over this. Sometimes we overthink choices and we process and we have to figure out how do I know that the choices I'm making are the best choices? And when we start to talk about them followers of Jesus, we add a new layer to that. Because then there's got to be this conversation about how do I know I'm making the right decision for God's will in my life? And if I make this decision, am I going to end up somewhere I don't want to be? Or if I make this decision, is this really what God wants for me? And there's this tension that goes on, at least in my heart and mind sometimes, about what, am, what does God want me to do? And how do I know what the right decision is? And so we're going to talk about actually two marks of a disciple today that kind of help us understand what God wants from us and how he's leading us through life. And I actually want to start today, we're going to go back to the verses we talked about last week. So we're going to read the whole, almost the whole passage 
that we talked about last week, which is going to take us to Luke chapter 5. So you're welcome to turn there, whether you have a Bible with you or on your phone. Um, There's also a QR code that's on the screen, or it's on the back of this Next Steps card. That'll give you all the verses and all the notes, everything for today. So if you want to follow along with us, that's the easiest place to do it. So check out the follow along. It's a great spot to go. So Luke 5, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse 5. Master, Simon Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Verse 6. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Verse 7. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please save me. I am such a, sorry, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. Verses 9 and 10, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with them. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. In verse 10, Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And in verse 11, they make a very important decision. It says, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They realize what happens. They get the boats back. They're almost sinking. I mean, this had to be stressful. You've got a sinking boat you're trying to get back to shore. But this was the biggest payday they've ever had, the most fish they've ever caught. And so immediately when they get back to shore, they make a a decision immediately to follow Jesus. And I talked a little bit last week. I said, in order to be a good follower of Jesus, a good disciple of Jesus, there has to be a little bit of a dreamer inside us. Because we have to look at what Jesus does and say, I'm putting more faith in what Jesus is going to do than what I understand. And we talked about last week that that ability to, as a child, we dream really big things. And here's what happens sometimes. We make decisions like this, and at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you decided that it was worth it to hand your life over to Jesus, and that he could do more with your life than you could. And then at some point, sometimes we get stuck. And we start to we start to kind of like settle. And we go, I, I just have to get through today. Right? When we look at what the disciples, the very first disciples did, they recognized who Jesus was, and they turned it over to him, and they just decided to follow him. And so the continuation of that is that we would continue to do that every single day. Now, here's what the disciples had, and I'll recognize this, right? The first disciples had the distinct advantage of following Jesus' footsteps. They had a little bit of an advantage over us, didn't they? They got to sit with him. They got to have meals with him. They got to see firsthand him do these incredible things. I mean, they got to be on the boat when he calmed the sea. There was no doubt in their mind who he was. And there's there's actually a, uh, a saying that was around at Jesus' time. And sometimes people will pull it back into the conversation today. And when someone was following their rabbi really well back then, they would say that that person was covered in the dust of their rabbi. And so you think about the time frame, if you were following someone really closely when there was all dirt roads, it would just kick up dust, right? So if you're following really closely, you're going to have that dust on the front of you. And so that's what the disciples did. They followed Jesus as closely as they possibly could could, but then comes the obvious question for us. How do we follow him 2,000 years later? 
what does the dust of the rabbi look like in our lives when we can't have that physical dust that the disciples had? And so we want to dig into that today and say, what does it look like for us? How do we know we're following Jesus as closely as possible? And how do we know we're making the right choices and doing what he has called us to do? So the passage I want to go to that we're going to pull a lot from today is John chapter 14. So you John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and there's there's two things that kind of jump out as we have this conversation. So you can you can listen or read along as we go and kind of see what those two things Jesus says are about. So he says, if you love me, in verse 15, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Verses 18 and 19. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And soon the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Verses 20 and 21. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple by that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Verses 23 and 24, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Verses 25 and 26. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So Jesus gives us this this speech, right? He kind of helps the disciples understand, okay, when when I go, here's what's going to happen. The people that love me are going to obey what I'm telling you. And when I go, later he's going to say, we'll see it. It's actually better. It's actually better for me to go because then the Holy Spirit will come. And so we've got these two main ideas. We've got the Holy Spirit that's going to come and is going to lead them. And then we've got obey the words of Jesus. And so here's the first of the two things we're going to talk about. The marks of the disciple. The first thing we said last week was that they seek the lost. Here's the second thing. They follow the Holy Spirit relentlessly. Now, here's the tricky part. And here's where I would have, if I'm you, I would go, boy, I don't know how to do Because this is difficult. And here's what we want to be honest about. If we're honest, the Holy Spirit is hard to know what to do with. Maybe you felt this way. I felt this way. When we think about the Trinity, right, we think of God the Father. Okay, like God the Father, I get Father figure. That makes sense to me. I get that he created the world and he sustains it. That all kind of makes sense. I can get that piece. And then we talk about Jesus. You know, Jesus was a human. He came. He was born. 
he died, he rose again. I know who his friends were. I know who his, his earthly parents were. I can see things about him. I know his miracles. So we understand him. And then we get to the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like he, we realize, maybe realizing now, like he actually has the most to do with our active life as a follower of Jesus at this moment. And, and he's just difficult to know what to do with. And one of the things that's true is he does so much. There's so many things about the Holy Spirit. We could do a whole eight-week series on the Holy Spirit. We just don't, we're not going to do that right now. But we could dig into this for a very long time. So when we say follow the Holy Spirit relentlessly, the natural question is, what does that mean? And so we're going to dig in a little bit today. I'm going to give us like the tip of the iceberg, all right? So maybe one day we'll do a whole deeper series on the Holy Spirit and dig into that. But here's what he also says, what Jesus also says in John 16, verses uh, 5 through 8. He says, But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. Verses 7 and 8 says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Now, this must have sounded kind of crazy to the disciples. Because he's saying, I have to go, and when I go, I'm going to send you the Spirit who's going to be better. If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, no, like, I like the way things are now. Let's just keep it this way. Like, hanging out with Jesus, this is good. I like being with you. I can see you. I can have a conversation with you. This is all really good. But Jesus says it's better for the Holy Spirit to come. And then he says, he will convict the world of its sin. And so we've got four things so far that we know the Holy Spirit does. Okay, here's the four things we know so far. Jesus says he will never leave us. That's really good. So Jesus had to leave. He doesn't leave us spiritually, but he leave, He left earth physically. So he had to go, so he says, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will stay forever. He won't, he won't leave you. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth, Jesus says. So that's good. So if we follow him, we're going to be led into truth. We're going to make good decisions. We're going to live the way God wants us to. He's going to remind us of Jesus' teaching. So not only is, is the Holy Spirit just doing his own thing, but he's connecting us back to Jesus and helping us understand who Jesus was. And then it says, he convicts of sin. So when we sin, when we do something wrong, when we're trying to figure out if we're doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit might step in and say, yeah, this is not something you should do. Here's the last thing I, I want to bring up as an attribute of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, verse 14, it says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And here's the cool thing about this passage. And I may have mentioned this before. This word guarantee is an and the idea there in the original language is that the Holy Spirit is kind of like an engagement ring. And so we, as the church, are the bride of Christ, and, and, and Jesus is the groom, the head of the church. And so eventually we'll have the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm giving you the Spirit as someone who's proposing to his fiance or his future fiance, right? Proposing, hands them a ring and says, this is my promise to you. That's what he does with the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that we, we would say is also, once you have the Holy Spirit, you can't lose it. And so if the Holy Spirit, you've received the Holy Spirit, you've decided to follow Jesus, that's not going to go away. And so the fifth thing we know is that the Holy Spirit seals us 
for eternity. Now, we've got five things up on the screen. I'm telling you, there's more we could dig into. But these are the big ones I want us to know for today. These are massively important because the fact that he would never leave, he sealed us for eternity, is so important. And it leads us to truth, reminds us of Jesus, and convicts us of sin. That's how he guides us through each day and helping us understand what we're to do, what we're not to do. And this is a gift that Jesus gives. He says it's better for the Holy Spirit to be here than for me. So I kind of summed it up in this statement, that the Holy Spirit leads and strengthens us to know, understand, and pursue God's will in our lives. There's this saying about Scripture, okay? And maybe when I say it, first of all, it might be a little bit like weird, but just hear me out, right? Everything in Scripture is true, but not all truth is in Scripture, okay? Does that make sense? So here's what I mean by that. If I'm learning to drive, I don't open the Bible and try and learn how to drive, right? Because there's truth outside of Scripture that I need to know. This will come up in our lives. If you're trying to figure out what house to buy, don't just go to the Bible and go, I wonder what house to buy, right? Like, that's not going to necessarily help your process. We've got to know and, and have this opportunity to kind of lean into the Holy Spirit so that God can help us in some of those conversations because not all of it is in Scripture, and so the coming of the Holy Spirit, having that available to us, he leads us and strengthens us to know, understand, and pursue God's will. God may very well have an idea for us or, for, or have an opinion on a decision we're going to make, like what house we're buying or what car we're buying, what would be financially wise, what would be good for the family, all of that stuff. But we have to have that guiding of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. But here's, here's the trick with the Holy Spirit. I think this is where we miss sometimes we get kind of confused, is that in order to hear from him, we have to be willing to listen. We know this. Conversations with people. Listening is an active thing, right? We all know when we sit and we're having a conversation with somebody, we've been talking, and they're glazed over like those donuts out there, and they just aren't invested in what we're saying. Did you hear what I said? Did you, did you process that? Can you say that back to me? And you're like, maybe you've been like me, you've been in a position like, nope, I was thinking about something else, right? My brain went somewhere else. And so you have to reiterate, right? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. We have to intentionally have that time to listen. And this is where we miss. Because we don't slow down long enough to actually hear. So, so how do we understand this? And I would say it this way, that silence is an invitation for God to speak. Now, here's the thing. He's not always audibly going to. If you've been in situations like me, there's been times where you've been praying about a decision, trying to figure something out, wondering what God's will is, and you say it over and over again, God, God, will you just show me what I'm supposed to do? That would make this so much easier. Will you give me a sign? Will you make it obvious? Will you give me this thing so that I will just know this is the way I'm supposed to live? He hasn't said that. The temptation is in that moment to say, God doesn't hear me. God is ignoring me. God doesn't care about what I'm, what I'm processing. One of the interesting things was uh, last week, we have a class we're running right now called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We've got a few weeks left. And we've been meeting over the last few weeks after the service. And the passage that we looked at last week was Jesus in the garden praying about not wanting to go to the cross. I mean, ultimately, that's what he said. If there's any other way for us to fulfill this thing we have to do, God, can you please show me that other way so we can do that instead? you know what God says to him? Nothing. Nothing. He gives him a clear answer by saying, 
I'm not going to say it. There's no other way. But we don't see an audible response from God. So sometimes when we get into a situation where God's not giving us that audible response, the temptation is God doesn't hear me. Nope, that's his answer. And he's not giving us an answer that he wouldn't give to Jesus. So he's treating us even like one of his kids. It's just not the way that we want to play. And so when we're actually quiet, though, when we, when we take the opportunity, it invites God to speak. And it's difficult to do this because we live in a culture of noise. If you're like me, I, I'm working, I'm doing stuff. I always like to have some, there's music playing. There's something going on. I used to fall asleep in college with my headphones in, just listening to music. Uh, Thursday, I was doing work at my desk, and 12, 15 came along, and I just put on basketball in the background just to have that on and do whatever, right? I can just do that. I can work with noise. But then I miss the silence. And silence is that opportunity for God to speak, but we have to be able to make that space. And so in order to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us or leading us into, we have to pause and get that silence to it. When we fill our space with so much noise, it doesn't give him that opportunity to speak. And God doesn't always shout at us. In fact, sometimes when he shouts at us, it's not so good. It's when he has to put a stop to something. So we follow the Holy Spirit relentlessly. In order to hear him, we have to make that space for silence. Here's the second thing we would talk about, that I want to talk about today. That we would obey God's word completely. Now, completely is the key word there, right? Because there's many people, many people that would say, oh yeah, I'll obey God's word partly. In fact, if we took some of the stuff that's in God's word and we just took it to the masses, there would be multiple things that people would say, yeah, yeah, I agree with that, right? Not murdering people. Yeah, we should all probably be on the same train with that one. Different things like that, right? We could get on that, and we could be giving giving even charitably. People would jump in on that. That's good. There's good things in there, but when we throw that word completely in there, for some of us, it should be like screeching tires because we have to recognize that all of it has to become true for us, and all of it has to, we have to be willing to follow. There's two verses or two passages I want to read to us that just kind of touch on this topic. The first one is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is probably the most uh, famous verse about following Scripture. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And then verses 20 and 20, and then go to 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Now, here's an elephant in the room we have to address, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. And this is the little point of faith that we kind of just have to step into if we're going to be willing to say this. We have to trust that God's Word is actually and I understand, I just read you two verses from God's Word that's saying it's God's Word. I understand a source from the same source is not always the best thing. In high school, they taught me not to do that. And yet we're looking at God's Word and saying, this is why we believe. Again, we could do a whole series on why we believe Scripture is true. I'll just say to you, I am unequivocally convinced that it is true, especially when we look at the Gospels. If you want to have more conversation about that, I would welcome that conversation. But for 
today, we have to be willing to just say, we believe that God's word is God's word. And, and the 66 books we have that we call the Bible is what we're supposed to follow for our lives. So if we're going to take that step of faith for a minute, here's how I want us to think of this. Okay, Here's an analogy for you. We should treat the word of God not as a buffet, but as a four-course meal. Now, here's what I mean by that. We love a good buffet, right? Like, it's it's good, right? Most of you are not in. You should, right? We It was my wife's birthday on month, last Monday, and so one of the things she wanted was she wanted to go to hibachi, um, but my daughter is afraid of hibachi because there's fire and they throw food at you and try and tell you to catch it. So we said we would go to Dragon Buffet instead in Lancaster. Our kids love it because they can go pick what they want and get chicken fingers and french fries at a Chinese restaurant. And then we can go, and I can get the sushi that my wife doesn't like, and she can get the things that she likes, and all the stuff, right? It's all great. We all love a good buffet. But here's what you don't do at a buffet. You don't go and take some of everything. If you did, you'd have to get so little of it, it's kind of not worth it. You might get a lot of different things, but if you're at a good buffet, it's, like, impossible to try everything, right? Sometimes we treat Scripture like it's a buffet. And we pick and choose the things we want rather than following the whole thing. But here's why I said four-course meal. Okay, so when I looked up four-course meal, I haven't had a lot of these in my life, but here's what I know, right? You start with the soup, okay? When I looked it up, here's what it said. Soup, appetizer, entree, dessert. Like, that sounds good. Okay, so you start with the soup. Why? Easiest thing to eat. So you start slow. You start with what's easy. And elsewhere in Scripture, Paul talks about how when we're young, we take we drink milk, right? And then we work our way up to meat. That's kind of the idea. We take, when we start to follow Jesus... We take the easiest things to understand. Jesus loves me. Jesus wants to have life with me. He wants to spend eternity in heaven with me. He wants to restore our relationship. We take the easiest stuff, and we and we start to digest that. It's what we do downstairs in our kids' ministry. We teach our preschoolers, God made me, God loves me, Jesus wants, me to, be, wants to be my friend forever. Now, for us, if I just stood up here and preached that, you would be like, okay, Corey, like, let's step it up a little, right? But for preschoolers... That's exactly what they need to hear. So we start them slow. Then you work your way to the appetizer, right? Gets a little more appetizing, gets a little more difficult. And then at some point, we're going to get to the steak, right? You always order steak before course meal. You just order the steak. It's also the hardest thing to get through. Not the easiest thing to eat. And at some point, we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to get to a point that's difficult to digest. We're going to have to work on that for a bit. We're going to have to process it. We're going to go through time in life that we have to work on and process. And, and it's different than how easy things were before. Like, the truth we learned before is still true, but it's not just as easy. Like, we've got to dig in and kind of figure it out for a while. But here's what I believe is true. When you get through the difficult part, if we ascribe and we actually take the entirety and we do the first three courses, what happens? You get to dessert. And what happens with dessert is taste and see the word is good. And we process all that stuff, and then we get to the good stuff, and willing to apply all of Scripture, then it starts to get sweet. And we start to understand just how good God is when we make our way through those difficult times. And so here's what I think is true. When we resist the truth of God's Word, we resist the fullness of His blessing. Let's go back to that dreamer idea for a minute that I brought up at the beginning. I said, there's got to be a little bit of us that says, I have to trust Jesus to do more with my life than what I can do with mine. And if I get to points in Scripture and I go, that doesn't work for me, so I'm not going to believe it. What I'm
I'm really saying is, I'm going to keep that peace for myself, and I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to allow God to work to his fullness in my life. Because I'm not going to ascribe to the entirety of Scripture. Listen, Scripture teaches things and shows us things, and God gives us his word, and Jesus says things that I don't love. I wish, I wish this. I wish I could look at Scripture and I could just go, hey, listen, everybody gets into heaven. Don't worry about it. I wish I could teach that. But I can't look at Scripture and say that's true. So I have to ascribe myself to believe things that that don't sit well with me because God taught it. But when I start to pick and choose, I start to teach, uh, use like a buffet, and I start to pick and choose what I want to believe rather than I trust the entirety of it, I'm going to remove myself from the fullness of his blessing because I'm not going to follow everything he has for me. There's just times where we get restrictions, we get rules, we get things that God gives us. We don't like it. Just like when we were kids and our parents gave us rules we didn't like. But then later we'll understand it. We get it. So when we resist the truth, if we start to look at things we don't like and we resist it, we're just going to resist the fullness of his blessing because Scripture is what God gives us to help us understand the way we are. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, this is how we need this. This is how this is going to play out in your life. So how do we do that? What does that look like? I'm trying to put a bow on this a little bit, okay? Here's what this means. You want to know, if you want to follow the Holy Spirit relentlessly and obey God's word completely, that means this, that you would live your life with a predetermined yes. You're like, you look in Scripture, you see something that's convicting, you've got to process it, you realize you're not doing so well in that area, yes, God, I will change. You feel the Holy Spirit leading you in a direction, and it's clearly Him, and you don't really understand why. It doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but you feel like it's just something you have to do. Yes, God, I will obey you. Because here's what happens. When I start filtering what God's calling me to do through what Corey thinks he should do, I filter out God a lot. But instead, I should look at both of these ideas and say in both of these areas, Scripture and the Holy Spirit, and I lean into those things, and I say, when He moves in me, I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to filter it out because it doesn't agree with what's in here. I'm going to live my life with a predetermined yes, and when God shows up, I'm just going to say, I'm in. So what does that look like sometimes? Here's what I think that looks like. You will feel peace about decisions that aren't always logical or profitable because they invest in the kingdom of God. Some of the best ways I've known that God was leading me somewhere was the peace I felt because of it. And in fact, if I chose anything else, I felt more turmoil inside me than if I would just follow his leading. And here's what happens sometimes. I've seen this happen. Both of these ideas, entirety of Scripture and the moving of the Holy Spirit, Sometimes people will use them and leverage them for themselves. People will look at Scripture and say, well, I think it says this. Listen, if anybody ever stands up and starts teaching a passage of Scripture, and it's different than anyone you've ever heard pass, like teach that passage before, completely out of left field, not exactly what's there, like, be really skeptical of that. Because sometimes people will take Scripture and they'll just twist it to what they want to say. Here's the other side. Sometimes people will say, well, God's telling me I'm, it's okay if I do that. Here's how we have to understand this, okay? Uh, imagine like a Venn diagram, the circles that overlap a little bit in the middle. You've got Scripture over here. You've got the Holy Spirit over here. Here's where God's will is, right in the middle of that Venn diagram, where those two things overlap. So 
if someone ever comes to me and says, oh, well, God's telling me I can do this. But Scripture clearly says you can't or you shouldn't. That's a problem. We've got a conflict we've got to figure out. It's probably not true. Same thing is, is true in reverse, right? Now, I think Scripture says this. No, it's not backed up by other Scripture. That's not the way it goes. We find God's will when those two things overlap. And when we do that, rarely, rarely are we following it. It's going to elevate ourselves. It's going to build into the kingdom of God. Um, I worked with a pastor for a while. Um, and he, before he was a pastor, he was actually, he was a manager at a company that cleaned stores and shopping malls, okay? So they would have these huge clients, and they would manage the organization, and, and they would come in at night, you know, they'd come in, they'd clean the store, do all the stuff, and figure it out. And so he was a manager in this organization. He was making six figures at the time. And he felt God lead him, the Holy Spirit moved in him, and said, I want you to be a pastor. And so he said, okay. Now, I will say, was that logical? I don't know. Maybe. It definitely wasn't profitable. Okay? But here's what it was. It was him following the Holy Spirit and saying, this is what God's leading me into. And it wasn't about elevating himself. It was about building the kingdom of God. So when we get to these moments where we go, I don't know what to do, does it match up with what Scripture says? It's a yes. Then, okay, what do I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading if I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me to do something that doesn't match up with Scripture, what do I do? What do I do? We need both of these ideas together to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, here's one more thing I'll say. Because here's what people get worried about. They start to think that God's will is a one-way street, and if we make the wrong decision, we're going to turn and we're going to be in trouble forever. Like, we're way off path, and we've got to figure out how to get back in. God's will is the middle of that Venn diagram. And sometimes God's will is not a right or wrong answer. It's like God God gives us an option that you can follow this one, you can follow this one. As long as it's within God's will, it's supported by Scripture, we feel the Holy Spirit leading us there, we can make that decision. And one way is not right, one way is not wrong, but we can stay in that circle. I guess it's more of a football than a Venn diagram, right? We can stay in that space and say, this is where I'm going today, and know that we're following the Holy Spirit, and know that we're following those two things have to come together. So sometimes we get a little bit of freedom in that, which is awesome. It doesn't always make the decision easier, but if we're understanding Scripture and we're leaning into the Holy Spirit, we'll stay in the right section. So here's the challenge for this week. Um, I would say this first. Discipleship is intentional. Right? We, we talked last week, seeking the lost. I can't seek the lost by just sitting on my couch and watching basketball. Probably not going to work. i got to put some intention into it. Same thing is true with these two challenges today. I have to intentionally follow Jesus in these areas. So if we're going to know and follow God's word completely, guess what we have to do? We have to read his word. We have to know what it says. So that means we have to set aside time to be able to do that. If we're going to hear the Holy Spirit, understand, we have to spend time in silence asking God to speak giving him the space in our lives so that we can actively listen to him. So here's the challenge. We've been doing this pray at four at four fifteen thing. Here's what it could be. You can change it if you want, but here's just an idea. You take five minutes at four fifteen to pray for the four things we've talked about. And then you take five minutes and you just 
see if you can do it for five minutes. For some of us, you're going to be like, this is a great five minutes. For some of you, it's going to be like, I can't handle this. Okay? It's going to feel weird. But just, just be quiet. Don't pick up your phone because that's what you're going to remember. Okay? Don't pick up your phone. Lock the kids in the other room. I'll give you permission to do that. Okay? <laughs> All parents are laughing. Right? So we, we find time. It's a 4.15, and 4.15's bus pickup, not going to work, right? But find another time. Find that space. In order to be able to do these two things well, we have to be intentional. We have to know what God's word says. We have to give God the opportunity to speak into our lives. When we run on the hamster wheel all day, we're not listening. We don't know what he's saying. We're not going to hear him. We have to slow down and process what God wants. When you make a good decision, Doing those two things actively, having peace about those decisions, comes much more easily. And here's why. Because when we're actively following Jesus, we know what his, God, what his word says, and when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, when we're doing that ahead of time, before the decision even comes up, our heart is going to be in the right place. And when we weigh the decision, it's already going to be narrowed. We're already going to have peace about one God has already been leading us in that space. And so don't wait for the decision to come. Don't ignore God, and then all of a sudden the decision comes up and goes, oh man, i got to run back to God for a little bit and have a conversation. No, we should already be there. We should already be sitting and having that conversation about where life is going all along. So I challenge you, set some time apart this week. Maybe it's one time, maybe it's three times. Find space and say, I'm going to spend five minutes reading God's word, maybe praying with it, and then I'm going to spend five minutes and just be quiet. You see what happens? I, I would be shocked if God shows up and just starts yelling for no reason. Okay? Probably not going to happen. But what might happen is you might get a peace in your soul about something. So just pause and wait. And so to be followers of Jesus, we have to do these two things well. We have to understand what God's word teaches and be willing to follow it space to speak into our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. And then when he does, we will pursue him relentlessly. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for your word. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us that Jesus leaving would be better. I think for the first disciples, it probably didn't feel that way either. But God, we ask that you would make your will clear in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, especially if there's those in the room that are dealing with a challenging decision they've got to figure out. They're trying to you know, know what your will is for people, for them. I just pray that you would make it obvious. I pray that you would help us to give the space in our lives where you can speak and we would not drown out your voice with our words. And I pray that we would be willing to look at your word and apply it completely to our lives. We wouldn't pick and choose. We wouldn't take certain parts that don't sit well with us and set them to the side and say, I'm just not going to listen to that or I'm not going to believe that or that can't be what Scripture means. I pray that we would just apply it completely so that we 